Is soccer any good? Soccer's a great fucking game. All right. Actual garbage. Actual garbage. Actual garbage. Actual garbage. Taking the time. Hey everybody. Welcome to the Actual Garbage Podcast. It is your host David Paddock. To his left, it is Ryan Riley. Old Man Riley, if you please. Old Man Riley. Keeping on, keeping on. To his left, Baby George. <laughs> <laughs> and we got no uh, fourth seat for this, but it is an afternoon cast, so that was understandable. Some people do have to work sometimes. Those poor, unfortunate bastards. I know. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about time, having it, not having it, sucking it, using it, Ready. all the various facets. Where, where'd I leave it? Where'd I, where do I find it? Yeah, yeah. it's... Because um, even saying planning isn't... No, it's... <laughs> that's another way yeah, to waste time. Yep. <laughs> there is... There's so much about time that totally sucks. And we're going to get into it uh, as rapidly as possible. Ryan, do you have anything that has been using your time as of late? Yeah, absolutely. I've been... You know, with the absolute crumbling of the audacious podcast project that I had assigned myself earlier, the, as seeing it fall before me. The forthcoming podcast. Yeah, the forthcoming podcast, which is now indefinitely forthcoming. Yay! I think that yeah. was just an auspicious name. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I was just planning on releasing episodes of Silence, calling it the forthcoming podcast, but that was just a little too meta for even for my tastes. But I've been trying to refashion it and reformat it. I've been uh, also reassessing uh, where I'm going to go because I've been applying to like degree programs moving forward as well. So, right. you know, as you try to like, you know, form strategies, I think you said like forming a plan. Yeah. I think the initial stage of forming a plan is recognizing that you've failed in previous plans. Oh yeah. So there's this, you know, and it's not to say that reassessment doesn't need to be this like soul crushing, dis disappointing experience. Even though it is. But yeah, absolutely. But it has been for me too. So I'm glad I'm not the only one that has experienced that in the last couple of weeks or so. But you know, as you get these projects going, I've been finding myself in the new in the usual problems of you know understanding uh, the scope or the scale of the thing that I've been trying to over uh, you know move myself forward into. You know, I've been trying to look up, but still, I think rightfully so, since I've noticed that I've been termed the idealist in some of the uh, within parentheses Just next one. to my name. Just it was, one. It was important yes. in that particular context, I believe. Absolutely. But I do feel that, you know, I do tend to you know, have my head in the clouds with my feet in the gutter kind of a syndrome. So I've been trying to, you know, uh, keep my eyes downward a little bit more and to, you know, have uh, goals that are a little more actionable, a little more realizable. And I think that, you know, reformulating the idea of the podcast, making it something more uh, more achievable, and also in keeping in line with the, uh, you know, larger uh, aspirational goals that I have towards my career. I mean, that's been really occupying my time the last couple of weeks. Uh, I hit the snooze button twice before waking up, and... Uh... I just got here, so... That's a fantastic edit yeah. right there. That's going to that... sound like we we mashed five minutes out of this conversation <laughs> just right there. I, mean, I, may, I may have to displace that somewhere to, <laughs> somewhere else just to make it even more esoteric. Ryan, do you have any idea? Are you still in the brainstorming stage for what the next version of this thing is going to look like? No, it was going to be... Because the other one looked, turned out where I was... You know, like we talked before about me kind of straddling the idea that this is, you know, an audiobook and podcast form. And I just didn't have the capability to 
if I'm going to write a book, I'm going to write a I'm going to write a fucking book, you know. And I didn't, do you have the time to do that? Yeah, and I, well, that's the thing is that it's been so the podcast would have taken even more time. Yes, and it would have really detracted from the fact that. As I've been away from writing, especially since I got out of grad school, which is this like soul-crushing experience that I, you guys have yet to enjoy, by the way. You guys haven't been, haven't been to grad school yet. Um, I mean, yet. Yes, I, yet. I fully intend to not experience grad school. Okay, good. Because it definitely, it is a, you know, what Thoreau calls the like wooden man experience. You know, it, you are carved, you are, you are, you are shaped into a, a specific form. And I hadn't really ri- written since then because it, it just drains all of the joy out of reading and writing that you had before then. And so I've been trying to like rediscover this, but it's an, it's an internal process. I mean, there's really nothing more isolating than writing as well before you release it to someone else to read. And, you know, that has just, it's it's a lot of practice. It's a lot of my own time in, uh, in, in encapsulating this. And in that sense too, it's when I feel or want it to, want to do it. And in that, and the problem with that is, is that when you really don't have anything pressing, I mean, when when something that is you're wanting to spend time on is completely within your own impetus to actually, you know, bring into the world, that's hard to, you know, that's yeah, hard when, to like motivate and get yourself into that. Yeah, when you don't have concrete blocks to work with, I actually can tie that directly into my primary topic of the day, um, Zaythor Two's head just like the forthcoming podcast, may never come to fruition, as far as I can tell, just because. It, Self-identity is always a pain in the ass when it comes to creative work. Mm-hmm. Um, first shooting is insanely personal, and it was hard enough the first time. So the second time is arguably even worse. I'm actually going to do a panel at the next uh, fur convention I go to on making your second fursuit. Because everybody talks about what a pain in the ass it is to find someone to make or to, heaven forbid, make yourself into something Nobody talks about then having to do that again. Even if you're just making you again, what does, you know, the quality question, the timing question, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. For anyone who might be interested, that panel is going on at Midwest Fur Fest from December 4th through the 6th in Chicago at the lovely Hyatt Regency. So I have attempted, in a, at least partially in an attempt to get out of the funk I've been in for a little while, I diverted those resources to an arguably unrealistic goal instead. Uh, there's a game called Undertale, which we will be doing a podcast for in the relatively near future. I highly recommend that anyone who can stomach playing video games play that game. <laughs> yeah. um, it is it is practically important as far as video games go. Um, but there's a character in it named Toriel. I've only known about this game basically for two days. I played it two days ago. So I decided... <laughs> Since Halloween is in four days, uh, it'll be after Halloween by the time this goes up, I figured, why not make a full costume of this character I just found out about? Now, granted, I do have a visceral attachment to Toriel. I think she is very cute. However, I don't have any other attachment of any kind. It's just a Halloween costume. But it is an incredibly unrealistic Halloween costume. Mm -hmm. Um, Making an entire suit that way in four days is stupid. But that's the kind of logistical hurdle that has made it very motivating to work on because I know exactly how much time I have. I have until a party, on not even on Halloween, on the 30th (laughs) to get it finished. And I will wear whatever it turns out to be when I get there. And that that works. Uh, I'm also working on a costume for that game for a group for a convention upcoming called ShadowCon. Uh, I'm being Papyrus, the skeleton of the... Well, not the skeleton, but he's my skeleton man. 
Uh, <laughs> he's the one that Dylan can be. Yeah. I assume Dylan would have gone with Sans, but he's too tall. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I... Is, uh, this, is, this, is this Play more... that game. Is it's this, a great game. This, okay. Oh, is this still Undertale? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, good. I thought Old Man Riley Syndrome was coming back. No, 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 no. no, no. Okay, good. Oh, no, right. no, yeah, that, was, that was me mocking you. Good. Uh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, this is all from the same game. <laughs> all right. Yeah, same <laughs> game. Uh, and I'm doing it for a group, so I have other people relying on me, which has been my impetus to work on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also have a side project of just making a cowl or some type of headdress for that mask that I made months ago. Right. Because um, that's what I actually want to wear on Halloween, because I'm working on Halloween. Gotcha. Um, and they told me I could wear something, so I want to be goddamn terrifying. Right. Uh, <laughs> I want to be a straight up nuisance in that store, and if they expect me to work, they made a mistake. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be. You're the, gonna make your bosses pay for employing. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that rule will change next Halloween. I'm assuming is, there, is the overall goal for like. They probably won't have me. Excellent. All right. <laughs> well, I, th I think. The but again, you, regardless of any, yeah. any sort of occupational hatred, you've got a deadline. I do have a deadline, yeah. You have um, a drop-dead date, and I think that is critical. Yes, because yes. that is what I'm lacking currently. Yeah. Uh, but a bigger problem with that that we've all faced is, uh, you know, I like I said, I wake up at 1 p.m. and I work at 6, so I got four hours to mm -hmm. do whatever before I even have to get ready. What can you do in four hours? That's basically no time. If I start, I'm going to want to keep working. And then if I get pulled away, I'm not going to start working again. Right. You know. if, if that sounds really stupid to you, that's because Dylan is being sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> Four hours is a really, really long time. It's just that figuring out what to do with that time. Yeah. Being able to manipulate that four hours into a practical way where you don't feel anxious and pressured or that any mistake you make, because with, with a time crunch, failure is exacerbated. Everything is worse about a single failure when you're working in a four-hour period. Well, it, it makes the failure more realistic. Yeah. Because you, you don't, you don't potentially, you may literally not be able to recover from it. Yeah. I mean, if you if you have four hours and you're making up a mistake for one hour, you've lost a fourth of your time. Right. Uh, that's 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 a huge proportion of time wasted. Yeah. Um, so instead, why not waste the whole four and uh, you know. <laughs> Throw it up to fate. Like, yeah, man, there's nothing I could do. I could have wasted 25%, but I'm going to waste the full 100. Yeah, okay, cool. The, go full. I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. I got it, yeah. So. <laughs> well, no, I, but I see, no, I, I understand that absolutely the problem that you've kind of identified there, too. But I, mean, I think we're all kind of talking about the same thing, which is that it's not necessarily procrastination, but it is the pressure of the deadline that can be a motivating force here. I mean, are we all kind of in agreement with that? That, like, you know, having I think I think it's deadline. virtually critical to projects of scale that okay. they have these deadlines. Yeah. I, when's but, your but when's your when's your uh, deadline for the um, skeleton costume that you were working on? Uh, that is the week after Halloween. Okay, so you so, get, so that's that's impending. You got all the time in the world, man. Yeah, how I, many four hours does we have there? I know? have more time, but that project is larger. It's gotcha. a it's a full costume instead of just you know a headdress. I'm gonna. I'm basically just going to work on the headdress the day before Halloween. Right. I also have the morning before, yeah. so I can, you know, just try to pump it all out. It's not a complicated process. It's just something that's been on my mind while working on this other project. Okay, and then, but, like, because it's very much I find the same thing, too. Like, when I know something's coming up, right, I'm not, 
you know, I don't necessarily am working on it, but it like occupies my headspace yeah. more as well. And I mean, yeah, do you find that too, David? Where you like, about it. yeah, where you, where you where you're working out those ideas? You know, is that is that the plan we're talking about here? Is we're kind of like thinking and keeping oh, I, it in our in our mental attention? I mean, I think there is a lot to talk about the way that planning and even brainstorming gets in the way of having time to begin with, because yeah. you end up. Whether, you attribute it to being work. Yeah, well, and it's to some extent you need it. It's not. It's a necessary yeah. evil. It's just how much do you actually want to put in? Because everyone understands the the diminishing return of plans. That's the yeah. the joke. How do you make God laugh? It's by making a plan right. or telling him what you're going to do. But you got to know what you want to do in order to cordon off your time, and then you have to somehow deal with that in a living roadmap sort of way. And you feel when you're planning. If you're doing it right, in quotes, you can feel like you're sorting it out properly. And you end up constraining yourself that way because as soon as you fall off of an articulated plan, that's even more demotivating than starting with no plan whatsoever. Because you can then back up. It's way easier to back up and out of a plan that was either poorly conceived or non-existent. But, I mean, do we, do we like encapsulate or do we do we bring into the idea that part of what we're planning is the thinking about aspect because you know if there's kind of like preliminary stage to a project you know it is the inspiration or the idea that we have for this thing and you know there is do we plan for the thinking about planning or, or do we do we plan for in a sense this mental activity or this mental exercise that we put ourselves through and thinking about it as well because I like I like my unstructured time and I like to think that you know, I would consider that part of my process or part of my plan, you know, as I'm working on something, be it, you know, uh, a, a, you know, uh, an essay for an entrance or, or essay for a grad school application or, you know, for a podcast. I like this, you know, I like this kind of unstructured time and I don't necessarily consider the fact that when I put down actionable goals, like that's the plan. I mean, no, there's, you know, the plan is, is that, you know, I'm going to be spending time thinking about, you know, imagining what this thing is going to look like when it's manifest. But also, you know, seeing potential pitfalls along the way. Do you guys kind of consider that planning, or do we, do we need the deadline to kind of focus us, and then we're like focused on planning the actionable goals? Well, what you're talking about is conceiving, right? Okay, okay. so that's con different. Con yeah, conceiving and planning are two different things. Brainstorming is coming up with an idea. Uh, planning is trying to figure out what you want to do with that idea. Like, say we're making food. Mm -hmm. um, People get caught up in the conceiving where we come up with five different ways we could do this. Right. Then we think about one for a long time right. and we don't like it. We think about the next uh, and we get into these rabbit holes and I mean, you wind up planning out a dinner and staring at a bowl of water and you're thinking, man, this is going to be great. Right. And you just stare at it for way too long. And then even if you just start to boil the water... You're, um, uh, I don't know, things are getting, ra uh, this <laughs> right, water's right, boiling right. way too slow. This is not going as fast as I want. Well, and what if you need cold water? Oh, fuck You probably just uh, fucked it up. Yeah. You should probably just quit now. Is it filtered water? It's we should filter the water for a bit? Uh, that, yeah, that probably makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That's that's worth wasting another 15 minutes to take care of that can, now. Can you filter the water by, bo let's b do boiled water and un. yeah. But aren't you hungry? I mean, don't you? Yeah, like, that's yeah. the thing. Okay, <laughs> I get it, yeah, but aren't we hungry? Yeah, and uh, sometimes you just got to go. Um, but I've actually worked with somebody who recently hopped into something way too fast, and the anxiety that it drove them to was, like, head-shakingly devastating. Like, they were just head in hands, like, I can't do this, what am I doing? I, I think that was, was the project personal in some way? Um, it was personal and 
on a tremendous scale. Yeah, see, that's, that's for the part. a very important internship. Yeah, see, that's the part that I think makes this fall apart. That's where I think the Toriel thing for me is the secret sauce, where it's simultaneously incredibly low stakes. Like, the biggest, okay. the biggest yeah. problem with mm. what I'm going to do is I will show up and look slightly like an idiot, um, which I will be in a group of friends who understand that's me. Like yeah. I don't, like that's not that's not revealing of anything. Yeah. Because my alternative and something I may do anyway is I will go in my regular fursuit. So I will either seem stupid or as crazy as they already know <laughs> I am because I went to that party last year in a fursuit. Mm -hmm. Um incredibly low stakes, not self-defining, but still on a deadline. So it's and it's something I want to do. Like it's not like I'm just going eh cuz this is done. It's cool and it's instrumental. There's yeah. a very good reason I'm doing this because it's tricking me into practicing making foam fursuit heads cuz I can't fucking get myself to do that on a project that really matters in quotes. Yeah. But it's got all the rest of the ingredients. Well, and, and as well, I mean, is it is it the pressure of the deadline that kind of gives us this, like, you know, I'm going to head in, fuck it kind of attitude that we're, you know, those those smaller scale failures don't, w w will somehow become a little more uh, You've got to brush them aside. That's the thing, is that the pressure of the deadline gives us this kind of, you know, that virtue of ignorance, if I may, as well. Yeah. The idea that we, you know, we don't perhaps realize we're going to fail. I'm going to disallow it, that. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sustain, overruled. Sustain, overruled, yeah, thank well. you. So, I mean, but is it the kind of pressure of the deadline that gives, it a, gives us that, that fucking attitude, like we're going to jaunty on into this thing like a fucking pirate, and we're going to storm the battlements and, you know, metaphor after metaphor, or you know, take this thing over? I mean, is that what we're, sure. what we're looking for here? I think uh, it helps. It keeps your mood up. It, it, it's, it's great to, it's a good feeling to have while you're doing it. Right. Um, but again, like the friend of mine who was working on that project, they hopped into it, wanted to get it all done. They were feeling it, feeling it. And just before the deadline, where they had technically finished, they looked back and saw all the mistakes that they made. Right. And then they were like, I have to fix all of this. Yeah. Then they've made this mess for themselves that they think they have to fix and, like, clean up. And the the deadline is now a day. Mm hmm And they feel like they have the whole project again. Was that... But how do we kind of reconcile those two out? I mean, how do we look at this, the scope of a project and, you know, we, we, we perhaps have, you know, started a week late on something or a day late or whatever, but the time crunch that we've kind of put ourselves into, because I think that a lot of people do the procrastination time management strategy by default. I think that is just a natural way that people fall into, which is that deadlines are very motivating, but I don't think that perhaps we assess fully whether or not that is the best strategy to take in general. I mean, how do we, how do we, how I think do we solve that problem? I that's think a problem. it's natural that you do that. You, you procrastinate so that you can impose that deadline. Because Absolutely. without it, you don't have I, it. Well, I always tell, you know, you know, my students mostly is where I encounter this. You know, I had a class before a, a pro, you know a major essay was due Friday, and I'm like, well, you know, have we prepared for class? And they're like, well, we've got an essay due, and I'm like, yeah, you've had an essay due for five weeks, and I, you know, I grade I grade I grade them on their participation when they come to class prepared, and nobody's prepared because they're all you know working on a paper that they should have been working on for five weeks, and they're and they act like they should get an excuse, and it's like, no, you know, every every day you weren't working on this paper was a day you were putting yourself in this situation. I mean, do you not recognize that? Oh, that's that's a very real thing, but I, there is no deadline in college that's over a week away, because you always give yourself a week to do everything. That's not, and no. sometimes even a day. Like that's because you need that, you need that design in your head, and it requires, as I think the people around this table 
the maturity level of which is still slightly in question, but I think <laughs> we can at least we can at least reconcile being motivated. Even we have trouble abstracting that deadline to make it feel like it is now right. that we need to start working. But that's bullshit. I mean, we have the time, right? We have that's the time. E that's exactly the point of what we're talking about, is that that having time and using it are so different. Okay. Yeah. And procrastination is a is a is a problem as a problematic feature of you know having time but not feeling that we actually have it, right? The idea that it's just, you know, I have the time, I just don't need the time yep. to work on this right now. And as we mentioned earlier, there are people who have it in the back of their heads all the time. I'm am imagining that we've all had like a paper due in a long period, in a long stretch. Yes. And we've thought about it. Yes, that's there are other people who don't even think about it. Yes. And then they hold it up. Like, what do you say to the people who are not actively thinking about a project and then remember or realize that the time crunch is real and then they don't have that whole back of the head? Like, I've written a paper and, you know, I can write a paper in two days because mm -hmm. I've been kind of thinking about Excellent, it for a yeah. long time. There are people who don't plan at all. They're th I really want to know what people think all the time. Because most of it, I just imagine, is complete static. I just imagine everybody's head to be... <laughs> just most of the time. I really don't know what people are thinking about. You know what they're thinking about? Spring break. <laughs> Spring break. No, but I, I think... Because that's the thing, too, is that... You know, for writing a paper or doing a project that can be achievable within a given period of intense time, I think you're absolutely right to kind of... Once again, I, I wanted to bring that back to the idea that, you know, thinking about it is part of the planning for the project in general, yeah. and that and, is actualizable, absolutely. And we're coming from a bit of a, like, I mean, we're the privileged table, so. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Gifted table here. I was, I was going to get to that. Yeah. There's uh, some. <laughs> the ability to do what we're talking about might be a higher level than, you know, the common person. No, it, it has nothing to do with that. No? <laughs> it has to do with motivation. Motivation? People who don't know what they actually want to do don't work on things. I know this because I'm one of those people. Mm -hmm. This is why. I mean, I was perfectly capable. You know, I would occasionally have neurotic thoughts about the things that I needed to do a month from now because there was an essay or a project. But if I didn't care about the class, it would not get done. That's, mm -hmm. that's all it takes. Whether there is an actual staticky noise going on in people's heads or not, I believe it, we can take in some sort of abstract, almost philosophical sense that it is staticky because what they're talking about doesn't matter to them yeah. in some sense, other than in a, uh, a very consumerist sort of hedonistic yeah. way. It's that they don't know what they want to do. Yeah. If you know what you want to do, you can still have this problem if you don't have deadlines, but even the deadlines themselves are irrelevant if you actually don't care. Yeah. You need something. So we're just really good at caring about basics, like I think this, arguably dumb stuff our, most of our, the time. This table is very good at worrying about things. Yes. Everyone at this table, whether justifiably or not, quite capable of worrying about things and caring about things. Well, I would argue too that the idea of static is that kind of you know the immediate uh, the immediacy of needs where someone is or I think a lot of people perhaps have this idea that you know I've just got to accomplish things that are very very close at hand or you know satisfying you know urges that are n not necessarily baser but just 
you know, sensational. Yeah, sensational and very quick or very, you know, I'm bored now. I need to, you know, I need to do something about this now. You know, kind of thinking or behaving and Reactive. you know well yeah to their to their own like you talked about hedonistic i mean that's what they do they react to their own needs and that is they absolutely right it is kind of as do we it's just that hedonism doesn't normally apply to what we do because what we do is deliberately effortful absolutely. which ends up making it not look like that but or, that is still absolutely what it or is or pleasurable most of the time <laughs> yeah but but that's that's the thing is we have to be careful not to confuse that because that is our pleasure is <laughs> is in the effortful realm that most people avoid. Like that's that's the trap we fell into in being in being part of the production camp is that we like that struggle except for Dylan of course. Yeah. Well no, but then but then too that the the idea that you can have goals or that you can have act you know things that motivate you to action on on an on an excessively short scale. I mean that's not overall productive in accomplishing larger tasks. And then if you, you know, take the, you know, uh, other side of the coin, which can be just equally bad, which is that your goals or your desires are so preposterously far out into the future or too grand that you really never, in the short term, make the small steps towards those goals either. And, you know, I do think that, you know, it's been kind of pointed out to me as well that perhaps there is a, you know, a disconnect in my own thinking between having, you know, massive mountains that I want to climb in the future, but not focusing the smaller or medium term goals as, as far as steps move towards them as well. And I think that that's you know, that linkage of what we have to have in, in place is important as well, where, you know, where, where do we avoid focusing on things that are kind of immediacy, but are we then, in terms of time, not thinking uh, uh, thinking too far ahead overall? Because that's a, that's a, I don't think that's a problem that most people have, but I think it could be one that many people would perhaps not even recognize that they have as well. And I'm kind of starting to self-assess and with help from others, kind of seeing that perhaps, you know, this idea that I see things too far out in the future, but don't you know, consistently move my short to medium term tasks and accomplishing those things as well. Depends on whether you have grand plans or not. I mean, that's, I think your forthcoming podcast was a stark victim of that exact mentality. You exactly. wanted to do a podcast about the entire Cold War done in a style pedantic enough to meet your academe standards yes. that could still be listened to by normal human beings. That is a Herculean task yes. that you put nothing out for and justifiably so, mm -hmm. because even the first episode with that mission was a daunting task. Yes. Because it needed to live up to the expectations that you were going to have by the end of that series. Yes. Um, and you just, I mean, making that, you could have plausibly spent five years mm -hmm. recording those podcasts yes. if you wanted to cover it as thoroughly as it sounded like you wanted to. Like, that's, that is not an unreasonable amount of time. Right. Like, half a decade. But you had to start now. Yes. And you didn't. And that was justifiable again, because otherwise you were gonna have to go back and re-record all that nonsense anyway, because you're just not you're just not far enough down the track. You haven't done enough of the little stuff in the middle, like yeah. you were talking about. You haven't tackled the other hills, and some of them aren't even necessarily like mechanical microphone stuff. It's just I don't think teaching. Right. Prepare even talking extemporaneously in front of students, I don't think that prepared you enough for the task you put in front of yourself. Yeah, absolutely, because it was, you know, this, the skill sets seem, you know, on paper seem relative, but then they actually aren't. And it was that, you know, in that overall scope of what I wanted to accomplish, which was that if I've got to spend like like 40 hours to write, edit, rewrite, record, re-record, assess, and then produce a podcast that is like 25 minutes long, I mean, that is not exactly the overall pattern. And there was, once again, perhaps was a little bit of naivete that the time for each episode would have scaled down the more I'd honed my skills and, 
you know, become familiar with my topic and, you know, had, had perfected this, the technical aspects of it as well. Like all of that would have been reduced per episode. And the more I got into it, the more I kind of realized, which is that, you know, even about yourself, I'm really not able to bring down the efficiency of my time use on some things that I have this like really bizarre self-imposed standards that I was trying to achieve. Self-identity. Um, a question that I would have and something that I... Whenever I set these large hurdles, uh, when I get started, mm -hmm. I have the issue of losing interest or motivation or wanting to switch completely. Are you afraid that if you were to start this podcast, at some point you would stop caring? Is like, would you go, man, I don't really want to do this. This isn't as great as I thought. Right. Well, especially, it, and I wouldn't have thought it, that it would have been the idea that it would have been like acclimate, like, um, the idea that people would have like liked what I was putting out there. You know, if like I if I did this thing and I had like two hundred subscribers after like three years, you know, what I've been that obsessed with the idea that this is actually doing doing what I wanted it to do. But also, it was, you know, when I really had to kind of look at this thing and I like I started budgeting my time. I started like marking down what I was working on. And when I when I fucking looked at this, I was like, you know, I was just I was gonna lose. I was going to lose the desire to put that much effort into something. And especially since it would have detracted from other things, the other time I wanted to spend on things as well. Yeah. And that was the biggest draw, the hurdle as well, which was that in the short term it was taking a long time, and I was willing to sacrifice that. I was willing to sacrifice <coughs> that first. to accomplish other things. Yes, at first, with the assumption that it would have become more efficient and it would have taken less time in the future. And when I really got into it and I looked into it, and after I'd seen the amount of time it took me to get, you know, four episodes typed and written, one recorded, getting feedback, going back reassessing, replanning, rewriting, beginning to work on that. No. I just said, I had to say no, because there, it would have drained so much time from other things that I was just not really wanting to sacrifice. And I have, I will tell you this though, I have lost energy and will power to accomplish things because they have faded from my attention, right? They just kind of like lose attention. The ephemera. Or, yeah, yeah, I lose, I lose my desire, I lose my love for the thing. But you said you st you're still working on it. What I've, what I've transitioned now is to something I think is a little more actionable, which is that I love international politics, and I still spend a lot of time on keeping up current with events, with focusing on, my, on, on research, with reading history. And what I've done now is that I've basically got, you know, uh, the idea that I would do a more, uh, more extemporaneous, shorter-form podcast, which would be, what do you call Carlin, like the dialogue with sources, right? So I would take, like, a current event, I would you know, pick out three or two or three themes that I could quickly digest and comment on and then get that done. And that I was I'm looking at, and as I've been preparing for it, would take me roughly two to three hours to, to, to get to the recording phase. And I was figuring that's okay, right? That's roughly, you know, half a day or more of work that I could put into it. And that would be a little bit more accomplishable. And it also go to the larger scope of, you know, trying to exist in a modern world of having you know, a website with yourself where you're, because I've also been in, in talks with people about, uh, you know, contributing to magazines and writing articles and copy editing and editing and things like that and researching and a know, similar that, thing at a more practical pace. Exactly. And that I fits in more to the scope of what I would want to do, which is to transition your success or the skills you've demonstrated in something into something larger as well. Because to be honest as well, I think if I was really assessing this, a five-year project on the po Cold War podcast was not the main fucking goal of this thing. And that's what was, once again, the idea of the scale or the goal of the thing was just it lost me, man. It really lost me, and I. Well, it was a beautiful dream. Absolutely. I mean, again, you were you were attempting to bridge the holy gap between an academic and a public understanding of a complex topic. Like this is a dream 
that a whole lot of orators have, <laughs> and virtually none of them achieve it. And it's funny uh, that Dan Carlin already basically showed you what that path was going to look like, and he may still be an auger for what it's going to look like, because what you are talking about of taking two or three concepts and relating them is exactly how hardcore history started. Yes. His first... Hardcore history. It is, That's man, yeah. the, the, the voiceover guy does that. Yeah. The, um, oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, fucking rad. <laughs> yeah. All right, I need to listen to this. All right. No, in his first episodes, he's talking about Alexander versus Hitler, or horses versus guns, and just, they're only like a half an hour. Guns win. Yeah. <laughs> they do. They do. Yeah. Well, that, that was the whole thing. Was, it was the transition from guns ended horses. But the um, very literally, yes, quite literally. Um, the uh, but he started with a half an hour, and it probably didn't take him very long to put any of those together. Because mm-hmm. uh, most of the time, what he's talking about, he barely quotes anything, and he's just basically off the top of his head. It's like weird, right? Right. Cut to 2014, and he's putting out five-hour-long multi-part analyses. Of World War One, right. he's doing exactly what you planned on doing later. Now, yeah. and he started the way that you're talking about wanting to start there, which is promising. Except that even there's even a bit of a discouragement. I'm not trying to deter you from doing that, but he also still had something up on you going in even right there. He was a journalist for 20 years before yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like that man's got a CV on him mm-hmm. that makes his job a hell of a lot smoother than it will be for you. And that's I'm just as a cautionary tale. I I talk about Dan Carlin a lot because he is one of my favorite examples for this. But I think it is very close to home mm-hmm. with the way that you're approaching podcasting and the way that he finds time is he doesn't do anything else. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Dan Carlin does nothing else. In fact, he doesn't even do, he has two podcasts. He has a common sense podcast and a hardcore history podcast. And he actually said he ended up not, he ended up caving on it. But two months ago, he said he was going to stop doing his other podcast because hardcore history took up too much of his time, which would drop his total output to one thing every three months. Mm -hmm. That's a level of dedication that I don't think anyone at this table has. No. Like, there's just, we don't know what that thing is. I, Carlin figured it out, but he's 50, or however old he is. <laughs> he he can be a man on a mission that way. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, that, you know, there's also a problem as well, which is that, I you know, we want to, in a sense, make our time efficient in the sense that we can provide for ourselves while doing something that we love. And that's... Really, I don't think any of us have solved that problem yet. No. I'm, I am not making money off what I fucking love to do. And that's what I think... For what it's worth, Carlin is barely making money off yeah, of it. I don't need a lot of money either. I mean, you know, I'd be nice if I could have my own place and, you know, a decent living that I could provide for myself with. But there, I am willing to take sacrifices of never owning a Lamborghini in my life to, like, you know, do what I want and love to do. And That's very noble. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I do... <laughs> Oh, I would love a fast supercar. Anyway, no, but like, <laughs> those are the kind of dream, those are the things I want to keep dreams. But the idea is, is that, you know, when we think about how we use our time, I mean, there is always a balance that we are now striking between within us that I have, a, you know, that is something it took me a long time to kind of reconcile, which was that, you know, what have I got to do to make my time equal money? And then what is there an idea that I would be satisfied with with doing what I really want, which is maximizing my leisure to do what I love? And we've got to be able to solve this problem of use, using and finding time to build on and perhaps even, once again, making it so that the thing we love to do and spend our time on provides us with the living that we that we can get by with. And that's just all I need to do is just to get fucking by. 
Like you would mention with grad school, though, that's a place where you get hammered out, chiseled down, mm-hmm. focused. Do you think that one of the major problems we have, even though, I mean, people are getting older all the time, but we're still <laughs> relative... Is that a Bob Dylan song? <laughs> yeah. Getting older. Uh, uh, one of the problems that we face is we still have a lot of stuff we want to try out. Um, I had that problem when I went to... Uh, art school. I'm sure a lot of people have that experience as soon as they hit college, especially if they have no aspiration. If they have absolutely no idea what they want to do, having the world open for you is a great way to waste all of your time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Internet. Yeah, I mean, the internet (laughs) is a boundless, infinite recycling source of useless information that is usually how I fill that four hours. And what how do you how do you get over that right how do you how do you find the one thing that you can dedicate all of your how do you say no to everything else and once you're 50 maybe you've had enough of everything else to say that you don't want it anymore maybe it becomes carlin absolutely did yeah carlin was a journalist traveled around the world reported on race riots he mm-hmm. went to a million countries. like he had all that stuff yeah once you see it all he had you'll the backlog. probably see what you want yeah and, I mean, that's Hopefully, just, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, maybe. And a lot of people don't. And maybe that's why they say to just travel, man. Get out of that is school. That is exactly why around. they say that. Well, See the world. But there there has to be a sense, too, that, you know, you don't... Not everything in life can be, like, just backed into or, like, stumbled upon to a certain extent as well, right? And yeah. I, It's not a romantic process most of the time. Well, that's, but I think that there is a, is a sense that, you know, how we, you know, how we want to kind of for someone who loves unstructured time as well, and I really love my unstructured time. You know, I really, I covet it, and I really enjoy it. But at the same time, at the same time, uh, but the idea being that dead air. I think this falls back into, we had talked about serendipity a little while ago and the way that we misinterpret serendipity as being literally spontaneous. Serendipity is almost always the result of a tension or pressure building over time, and then an something triggering and it all flowing out and that happens to be the coincidence. Yeah, the moment of clarity is... You have to put work in. It's It just feels spontaneous because all of a sudden all that work pays off. Yeah, I mean... But you got to put it in in the first place. Yeah, somebody who wants to be anything, a journalist, a sculptor, a teacher, they've... You've been exposed to most of those things your whole life. You've had teachers all the time growing up. You've... You've written things you've, before. You've written things before. You've seen artwork everywhere. Everyone's seen a clay pot. But knowing that that's... And even maybe like doing it or writing, it doesn't feel right at the moment, but you, you get to a point where you've had so much of this experience and you compare the experience you're having now to other, every other experience you have, and this is the one that feels right. Clay pot journalist. Clay pot journalism. That's just art history. It's just earlier. Hmm. <laughs> my, my first art history teacher uh, was really upset that she was teaching art history one because she just hates clay pots and wall paintings. And that's literally all it is. Yeah. Um, it's all that survived. Yeah. I mean, I was able to make a joke on a test. We were supposed to uh, mention five interesting attributes about each clay pot. And... You know, stretching that out because they don't have names. There's no author. There's no artist. Rate them for roundness. Yeah, rate them for smoothness. And (laughs) I made a rap joke and was like, black and yellow, black and yellow. And she, 
wrote, ha ha, checked it off as correct, and I got an A on the test. Like, she's all right. <laughs> she knew it was up. Are you still striving for... Man, I'm just having a hard time with this, with, with how we kind of reconcile these, this, you know, how we, uh, how we look at what is, what we consider to be structured, right, part of a plan. But then how do we account for the fact that we, we need a certain amount of unstructured time that will inevitably perhaps lead to what we're talking about here of serendipity inspiration, which takes you off your plan as well. And I don't, you know, for me as a person who finds that, you know, this, this struggle between wanting a, a, an actionable goal and, and something that you want to accomplish to where my passions t tend to lead me away from them, right, to almost say that, you know, what, what we've been spending on and looking at with our time and trying to accomplish this has led us perhaps down the wrong direction, right? I don't have the, necessarily the problem of, you know, waiting until too late to jump into something, going into it full force, then realizing I failed and being discredit, you know, being frustrated by that. I mean, I just do that 10 times in a row and then look <laughs> back at it and see the mega failure or the mega destruction that I've had in trying to accomplish that as well. But you have that with tasks. I have that with everyday life. Because <laughs> uh, we got to look at ourselves, that, right? That's, I mean, that's a, that is literally the week for me. Well, we've got to, I think every, the most, the most frustrating question we have to, I think, assess, but usually I do this about three times a year where I look at myself and I, I try to get, you know, get yourself down on a sheet of paper and you ask yourself, how did I get here? Right? How had the use of my time, how had I, the decisions I've made lead me to write now recording the actual garbage podcast episode such and such moving forward, but I mean 35. even then yeah thirty five <laughs> but I mean how did how the fuck did we get here is the question we have to ask and that is an essential question of how we use our time and the decisions we've made re regarding that and I think that's a, that's a it's a frustrating question but it's one that doesn't necessarily drive me into some kind of you know existential dilemma or frustration but it definitely is one that I think we have to kind of assess and it's. You know what I had, because I, I got my file, man. I got my file of my forthcoming podcast. And I look at it, and I'm like, how the fuck did I get here? Right? How did this end up this way? And they, with the questions of how we use our time in the short, medium, and long term, and how the discrepancy between looking at the past as it relates to the idea of the future, of where we're going, is, the, I think, the, the most difficult notion of what time is and how we account for it in our lives and what we judge it by, both our future pr prospects and our past decisions. You sound like you, in doing this three times a year, and even the way you phrase it, how did you get here? Mm -hmm. You make it sound like... Consequential. It, you make it sound like you covered your eyes and ran, and then re opened your eyes and reassessed, and then started running again. Like, do you have... And you talk about liking unstructured time, and great, I'm big fan of unstructured yeah, absolutely. time. But do you have... Do you have interim steps? Because it's one thing to merely be introspective about where you're going and attempt to like eke it in a particular direction because you see what worked and you try and funnel your efforts yeah. slightly in that direction. Do you go beyond that at all? Do you do any further graduation? What do you mean in the term, like in, in terms of assessment of where or past decisions? If we're talking larger... three, let's call it seasonal. Let's yeah, say sure. four times a year. If you are only redirecting your efforts once every three months, that is a shitload of unstructured time. Right. Um, that seems like too much unstructured time. No, 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 no. Okay, maybe I, miss, maybe I kind of miss, didn't get into exactly what I was going on here. Maybe we should maybe divorce this from the idea of unstructured time in the sense that what, what, one of the benefits of unstructured time is obviously the kind of, 
you know, the, the, the ideal ideation period as well, right? Where we're kind of, you know, allowing ourselves to find serendipity. We put work in and we're going to rest back on our laurels, partly because we fucking earned it, right? Of what we'd been focused on, diligent to a plan, accomplishing a goal, the frustration. I mean, once again, sometimes accomplishing a goal, and I'll agree with Dylan as well, that sometimes that's a depressing act. I mean, when I got out of grad school, I was fucking down, man. I was like really, really depressed because, you know, you go through something that is very, very difficult that, you know, and, and to a certain extent, it's out of your control, which can be beneficial. Once again, I mean, having nothing is more clarifying than someone telling you you have to do something, right? And this is the yeah. problem of, you know, this is first world problem kind of shit. We're like, you know, the big problems, our society kind of just has solved for us in general. It's not that hard to make a living. But the hard thing is, is making the living yeah, you want make, from your life. Making it harder all the time lately. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see. Yeah. But, you know, especially if uh, certain people get elected. I'm just teasing. But, but still, like, the... Being the, useful is hard. Well, Being useful has become a very real issue. Defining what's useful is fucking hard. I mean, yeah. you know, being told that you Pursuing have to do to something. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah, being told what to do is fucking easy. I mean, it's. I mean, a, if I were to go into teaching, I would be an art teacher teaching art and humanities because I would want to justify that art is relevant because it's the reason that we are different from terrorist groups. <laughs> like, <laughs> culture is what brings ultimately a society together. I mean, and that's what America is supposed to re reside on, is this idea of all of the world cultures working together, and that is the culture. Mm -hmm. um, even though, for some reason, it's diverged its own... Uh, I know. think it's a little seedier yeah, than, that, was, than that specific... Uh, that was the original plan, anyway, and we like to mention it a lot. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's up for today. But yeah, I, I mean, having culture and saying that what we look at and how we express ourselves is relevant to being a human being has to have worth. But they cut art all the time because they teach it as craft, and they say, why would you need to know how to make a clay pot? That's useless. Nobody's selling clay pots. Mm -hmm. Which may be true, but knowing the process of doing that, knowing that throughout history this is how people have survived, people have been inspired, people have looked at objects and went, this is amazing. I want to stay awake for. I want to be alive for this. Right. Does this make Etsy the greatest contribution the internet has to world culture? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Just making sure. Well, I mean, it definitely made the internet the best contribution to <laughs> world culture. I mean, we're making internet right now, right? Yeah, we're making. We're doing it, man. Here we are. I mean, so is this... No, fuck it. We're not putting this one up. <laughs> no, Jesus. I'm refusing. <laughs> I'm refusing to contribute to this maelstrom. No, just cut that bit with the bit of me coming in. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It'll make more sense there than it did here. <laughs> Being useful is uh, something that I... I mean, last night at work, I threw what could only be described as a tantrum because we're having a corporate inspection today and I was told have a good clothes make everything look great so that I don't have to clean up in the morning and a small amount of pressure I usually do a fine job you know closing up cleaning up the store we took a little longer than it should have and I felt like I had failed and because of that I wasn't useful and because I wasn't useful I shouldn't exist um, damn so, straight <laughs> yeah so I've I've had these issues of what is functionally practical? Are there functionally, like, can someone actually be worthless? Is there such a thing as a worthless human being? And the resounding thing is no, because I don't want to think about me maybe being one. <laughs> That's what most people assess. Like, 
yeah, sure, if you're mentally and physically handy, if you are literally a vegetable, you still have a worthwhile existence. We would rather keep you alive, blinking in a bed, just to prove that humanity deserves to be alive. And that's just the kind of thing to think about, you know, hmm. making burritos. On that Sorry, I got a little dark. No, it's that, fine but. on that specific note. Uh, while Ryan parses his definition of unstructured work here, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take it to emails real quick here. Whoa, we have emails. We do. Oh, uh, we have an email coming in from uh, Jacob Paddock. Oh, fucking a. Yo, it's your boy JBZ, first time caller, long time listener. Love the show. Love the diversity of the cast. <laughs> I'll take that person. Yeah, we've gotten a four. The only thing that is actually garbage is that Dylan Kidd's outlook on life, what does he spend all his spare time thinking about, things he could or should be doing instead of living his life. Hopefully you can straighten him out and splash a bucket of metaphorical water in his face. P.S. The education cast was great. You are still a little too loud, almost like you were too close to the mic. Well, the mic's in the middle. Fuck you. The mic is in the middle, and unless people lean directly into it, I'm just very loud. So this considered listener has a concern for, uh, seems to have a pertinent concern. Dylan, are, are you just, are you a bitch? Uh, I'll describe it as being a bummer. All right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah if you would like to leave scathing comments, feel free at uh, actualgarbage.net at gmail.com is the email address. Your email is virtually guaranteed to be read on the podcast, regardless of content. This is the internet, so. So related to unstructured work, though, because you, because again, we've got the only handle I've got on the way that your thought process, your production process goes, Ryan, is you go from it, we're talking at the absolute greatest scale down to the minutia. The mm -hmm. only ones that I've heard you talk about is you have the seasonal introspection, right, and then you have unstructured work. And then when you actually have deadlines, which it sounds like most of the time you just don't, mm -hmm. I, where, where is the rest? There's no way, that can't be it. Because if you've got, if you're just a force, if you're just a goddamn hurricane moving around trying to get, that's, that's not, that's not going to work. Yeah, no, and it's been, it's been a larger problem that I've been, once again, in tailoring the, the, the short and medium term to, to accomplishing the larger overall goal of what we're trying to accomplish here. And it's once again the the, the hurricane the hurricane idea isn't exactly the wrong way to kind of look at it, which is that actually no, I take that back. Tornado. Tornado. Yeah, there okay. because we'll go with tornado. Well, no, but it's also difficult too because there is a kind of you know a maelstorm that happens, and what I'm <laughs> what you're kind of hoping for is that when the when it leaves, that it leaves a pile of something that is relatively what you were hoping to try to accomplish, and. That is not the perhaps, I will absolutely agree, that is not perhaps the best kind of way it, o overall to proceed. But at the same time, I can kind of, you know, generate those, those maelstorms fairly frequently. I mean, the, the one aspect I do have that I think makes me not necessarily, I don't like the idea of being productive, but the idea that I do uh, formulate my time in an effective manner is that I can, you know, generate these things several times a day and get things done. I mean, that's how I... That's generally how I try to accomplish tasks that I have to do, like for work, right? I mean, the best thing about my job and why I like my job is that I used to have to punch a time clock too, right? Where you have a shift and you have responsibilities within that shift. Old Man Riley is a professor for those who are new to the Oh, show. yes, excellent, yeah. So I have, you know, I got class time and that's... Did you just you say know. sexcellent? That's sexcellent. 
Oh, that's not I'm trademark on that, by the way. Yeah. Okay, good. But the idea was was that I, I like this I like this a little bit more now. And what, what the thing with with uh, with having that kind of time punched mentality, which was that you you know you've got these goals that are set for you, you have to accomplish them within within a certain range of time, and you know that wasn't very conducive to how I wanted to go, and it usually may, had me doing less quality work and things I had to do, which was that the, the longer I had to do it, you know, I felt that you have to be there, and I'm sure you experience this with time punch work as well. You have to look busy all the time, and like I don't have to look busy because my job is supervision. I have to make sure other people are busy. Excellent. And yeah. then I get mad at them because I've I got to where I was because I'm always there's always shit to do, and I know to do it. Yes. Other people don't know to do it. So I have to tell them. Yes. And that was like... That, I'm, I'm such a busybody, they assigned me to make other bodies busy. And it was like, you know, when I ha now when I have to work, I mean, I, I used to have this problem where anything that I had to do, I would like dick around with it and I would like, it would like take me so much longer to do something, right? Like a one hour task, I'd fuck around with it, I wouldn't get it done. And it would take me like four hours to do a one hour task and then I did it crappy on the, on, on the output. and. You know, I kind Do you of, have an example of this? Yeah, it would, I would, like household. It was a, it's a, it's the household chore problem kind yeah. of an idea. It was I'm like gonna clean my room. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I would just fuck around, and every little thing I had to alter, I'd like, oh, let's let's look at the oh, pictures. Cool, I found it. Oh, oh, fucking hey. Yeah, it was like I've seen this forever. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of thing would really wouldn't keep me on task. And like I said, I would do I would, I would expand it out and do it longer. And it could be any kind of a task in general that was just mundane enough for me not to do it. Well, now. You know, when I want to get anything done, I just I focus intently on what I have to do and try to get it done in as quick a time as possible, not as little as effort as possible. And those two things was where I, that was where I really kind of crossed over. And you know, you talk about the the, the tornado-like aspect. The weird thing is, is that I still feel that when I accomplish things that I'm really good at is when I still have these things or these tasks almost imposed on me. And it's like, I've kind of got the maelstrom idea working, and now if I can just find the way to increase my productive and attentive and quality of work, if I can accomplish that without having these things thrust upon me. And it's kind of weird because as I've been thinking about what I want to do, I mean, you know, horror of horrors, I mean, I'm still thinking about going back to grad school to get another degree. And like, that's just, I mean, that's in part a defeat, but it's also, I think, just a recognition that I just don't know if I am able to accomplish or perform my best when I'm setting my own deadlines and goals. And that's, that's fucking depressing. I gotta be honest with you. I mean, that, like, that's, once again, you know, when I have those how did I get here kind of moments, I mean, I've kind of like realized those kind of things. It's like, I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves, right? I talk, we talk about self-deception, self-deception. No, we don't. We've got <laughs> to be honest with ourselves to say, you know, where and what am I good at? And not what I want to be good at or what I think I'm good at. I mean, where have I really produced? Where have I gotten a recognition from other people that I've done good things? And the unfortunate thing is, is that my the, the real wheelhouse that I've kind of recognized is that it's all been in things someone's asked me to do or that I've been required to do. I mean, I've got a lot of attaboys for teaching. And to be honest, I mean, it's my job. I mean, I have to do it in order to pay the bills. And yet, I'm pretty fucking decent at it. I mean, I'm really pretty decent at it. And it's like, I mean, why can't I find that level of success and satisfaction with something that I self-impose on myself? And that's really, you know, I, once again, the idea of, of required time and, you know, uh, optional time. Like, I've got to I've got to just get better at the optional time and making that more, not necessarily making a priority. optional time required. Yes, to some way, and that's what I'm trying to find. And that's like, yeah, that's you, the way David's treating his project right now. He's taking the thing he has wanted to do, but kind of 
there's, held back on. Yeah, and then I, I flipped it a little bit on myself, lowered yeah. it so that it doesn't have the introspective crisis behind it. But the yeah, um, you did some real jerry rigging mentally yeah, on no, like how to achieve. I've thing. gotten very good <laughs> at tricking the part of my brain that is good at tricking the rest of my brain because <laughs> the back and front of my head are both very devious creatures. Can we save that phrase so that we can like play that on loop? That the phrase you just sure. Said? Okay, good. Um, but it's the way that the way that you address it still, just the way you talk about it. You have such a passive language about it. The way. How did I get here doesn't tell you anything about what you actually did because that actually that potentially leaves open the entire world of the environment having taken you exactly where you are. You don't you don't sound like you put enough direction into it to motivate yourself. Like I'm surprised other than in an ephemeral day-to-day fashion, which granted works very well for me. I work on to-do lists very, very well. I found that to be my best organizational pattern is just a whiteboard with all the shit I need to do on it. But but I need goals outside of that or I will stop putting things on the to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that level of direction seems like it's still missing from the elements that you've laid out. Well, it's just tough because, you know, a lot, a lot of times we tend, you know, the idea of being productive or using your time effectively, you're essentially only accomplishing small-term goals. And the problem, once again, is that you know, how did you get here? It feels like you, you know, like you didn't have control over what you were at because most people focus on the short term so long. I mean, you know, we've all experienced problems, and I know David, you as well, have expressed this idea that you know you have a hard time, you know, intently focusing on a project within that's longer than four days, five days long, or whatever. Yeah. And you know that I think you've you know you've been working out on a system to try to once again, like I said, trick yourself to where you can harness that your own, I mean, you're not a tornado, you're a hurricane. I mean, you're a multi-day phenomenon, whereas I would be, you know, a little bit more intensive in a, in a waking up kind of kind of mood to where it's like I can make these things happen twice a day and then I kind of have my, un, you know, my unstructured time outside of that. And it's just because there is such a discrepancy between the two of these like mailstorms and unstructured time or this loose time that I have outside of that where the regular world fucking happens. And that's why it can feel like it snuck up on you because the regular world, you know, forces these things on you, and I don't feel like I'm in charge of my regular world. I mean, I really don't. And that's what's disappointing, that's what's disconcerting. And then, when you've got to say, how did I get here? You have to say, you know, how am I doing, and how am I living a life in what I have to do that I really didn't feel like I made the choice to do? And that's what we talk about, like, yeah, let it happen, let, let yourself luck into it. Well, the, the downside of that is, is that, you know, you might find yourself in a situation that A, you don't feel you can extricate yourself from easily, and then B, you find out that if you have to stick into this to actually make something out of it, I mean, what if you've got to put in another fucking year? What if you've got to put in more years to accomplish that? I mean, we just can't imagine that, you know, it's just as easy as, you know, just popping yourself out of a pool, drying off and going and doing something different. I mean, there's a path dependency, to use the language of social sciences, that we are on. And it is a path, it, we are path dependent. And it, we are just not able to just, like, you know, hop over the lane and just change our direction easily. And like you just said, with lanes, you're completely segregating the functional world to keep you alive. These are the tasks I complete to stay alive, and this is what makes me feel accomplished. Uh, And with, uh, you've always mentioned hurdles, pitfalls, Mm -hmm. peaks, and valleys, and being at the top of the mountain. Do you feel like when you're at the top of the mountain, that's the moment where you say, how did I get here, or are you just enjoying being here? Because whenever I've reached that top of a mountain, instead of looking forward, I look back. I've literally looked back there. Yeah. Uh, 
and I see the pitfalls and go, I didn't deserve this height. I need to go back down to accommodate. Yeah, well, it's tough too because you're not in con- you, you know those things that are outside of your control are exactly that outside of your control. Yeah. And you know if you, if you stay at something for a period of time, right? Like your work environment. I mean that can change, right? Like a new boss comes in. You know, and then all of a sudden, what you've been doing, what you had enjoyed, some, suddenly you find not enjoyable. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I and would not be at that job right now. Again, they tried to move me to a different store. Uh, we almost lost our GM very early when I worked there, and yeah, that would have changed absolutely everything. And it's in that in that sense, David. I think it is. I mean, it is passive because there are elements of your life that you are not actively in control of either. And you know, the, the, parsing those things out and deciding where and 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 how you've ended up at a certain point in time. I mean. You do have to kind of reassess in a sen- in that sense of like, well, what have I done to kind of get here? Because there has been something out of my control that a I didn't I didn't foresee, or that b has now impacted me in a way that I am not enjoying. And you know, you have to then say, can I stick this out? Do I want to stick this out? And how do I extricate myself from these? All of those are not short-term solutions. I mean, you know, people that bail out and jump ship on those kinds of problems, even at a short or you know, at a, in terms of importance that are perhaps minimal importance. I mean, when some people just bail out of those, I mean, that is not constructive. I mean, that is not a way to accomplish long-term goals is by bailing out of small projects outside of it and then just assuming, oh, that's all on the right path as long as I can just, you know, figure it out before I get there. And that's not the case. It's just not the fucking case. And it, you know, I'm not to say that I'm a passive person, but there is a problem in the sense that when you've dedicated the time to something and the view you thought you were going to see isn't what you find when you look around and you don't fucking see that. I mean, it's not your fault necessarily, but it sure as shit is something you have to reconcile and deal with and figure out where you're going to go from here. And you've got to figure out if you're going to keep climbing the mountain or go down. And both of them, both of those options are hard because that's the thing. Climbing the mountain's difficult, but no one ever talks about the trip down from Everest. And when yeah. you like actually talk with people who actually accomplish large goals, even people who do that, that's the most dangerous, difficult, daunting task. Yeah. Like getting down from that fucking mountain piece. If you were to write a hit book, you're going to write another? It won't be that one. Yeah. Like, that's, that, that's the joke big, with writers, right? Yeah, Your second and, novel. And big successes make every other success feel even more... I mean, each every task is as daunting as the last because every success... Is hard it, won. It, yeah, it it raises the bar. Yeah, no, and Ralph Ellison, one of my favorite writers of all time, I mean, he encountered this problem. I mean, he wrote Invisible Man, and 35 Got years it. later... done. Yeah, 35 Good. years later, he's, you know, he had his own problems, but at the same time, I feel like I've got second novel syndrome. I've never wrote my first fucking novel. <laughs> like, there's my husband, what the hell? Still seems like a lack of direction, though. Oh, even no even even the the ability to reconcile the degree to which the environment matters still puts you in a passive role because you are merely ro- you. Well, you, you guys, got to the point where you're rolling with the punches, but you're not punching back. Yeah. Well, you guys are telling me that you know you're like, well, there's the benefit to this, right? Just go out there, travel the world, do a little, you know, do your thing, and have some. I'm, I would never say that. I don't no, travel I, fucking I was, anywhere. But that's. I was, well, no, but there's. The, I was but, remarking on what society says. Exactly. Or at least pr- spring break. Exactly, and I'm just, you know, I'm still. There's a social impetus to do so, and it's it's an easy way. Travel is a cheap, in quotes, because it's not actually cheap at all, way to just expand. Uh, okay, I'm just going to back this up and use all the cliches at the same time, because, of course, because it's travel. Seeing the world expand your horizons, mm-hmm. like, that's... That's the reason travel is supposed to be useful, and I'm not I'm not disparaging that in any way. A lot of cliches get that way on purpose. Um, 
it's just that's a very straightforward way to make sure that you're not missing something. Right. It's an easy way to add triggers to your life that you don't have if you just sit home and brood. It's a it just it it's a way of forcing yourself into it. I do that a little bit with the podcast by trying which I've actually sort of gotten out of the last couple episodes, but we're going to pick it back up, of making sure this podcast doesn't get stagnant. Because we could make what we have here better. We could just get better with our cadence and the conversational content. Or I could make sure I'm not missing anything by taking up my, the mic up to Gainesville, by talking about a movie, by talking about a video game, which we're going to do soon, doing a remote call, which I'm going to do soon-ish, uh, logistics notwithstanding. I... That'd be cool. I understand that, and it's actually, I think the first person I heard this lesson from directly was, of all people, Jay Leno, is that as soon as you can get a laugh from the whole room, you know that room is safe. You need to find somewhere where no one's laughing again. Because if you don't do that, you, you will box yourself in. You will build yourself into a corner, and you may have, and even though you feel comfortable, you feel like you're in your element here, you don't. You just tautologically, you, you don't fucking know. You don't know that this is the end. But you had to. You have to conquer the first room first. And that brings us back again to the unstructured time Otherwise and the way it relates to your podcast, the forthcoming podcast. You saw, <laughs> you saw that perfect room. And you're reaching for that room when there are all these other rooms on the way there that you need to conquer first. And you may not know which ones they are, and it's good to be introspective to sort of figure out which ones they are, but again, it just, it just feels like, Ryan, you've got, you've got a lack, you, you have a lack of activity to the way that you approach these things. Mm -hmm. And something with both of the ways you guys are describing this is totally compartmentalized. We have lanes, we have rooms, life is a continuous stream. The only thing that segregates night from day is when you wake, like, when is morning? It's when you wake up again. Mm -hmm. 2 p.m. is my morning. It's when I woke up. You should uh, probably stop doing that. Buddy. Yeah, I should probably stop doing that. Yeah. I want to enjoy stuff after work, and I get out of work at midnight. Yeah, enjoy so. sleeping, and then wake up at 5. <laughs> well, I got, it. I got a different problem. I can't sleep past 8, 8 a.m. anymore. Neither can I. That's such shit, man. <laughs> I wanted to sleep in so bad all the time now, and that, like, 7.45 hits no matter the day or out, the day of the week or the hour I went to bed. I can't sleep in anymore. Uh, but this idea of com compartmentalizing to accomplish, com completing the room, <coughs> uh, in, in real life, it's easy to take that metaphor, or in... Metaphor, it's easy to take that concept of the room, the people that you see, when in reality, people come and go all the time. Everything is always fluctuating, and you're moving through this stream of being alive. I think Ryan's got that part down. He has That's that part down. That's the thing. Down. I think but, you've got that part down in spades. But he has the idea that depending on initial choices, it'll spur you down areas where events will happen. I, I just imagine things in an even looser sense where there is no lane, there is only the storm. Mm -hmm. You are in the storm and trying to fly. Uh, you are. All right, is he the storm or the bird? Huh? We're getting our metaphors mixed here. All right, storm. He was a tornado. Oh, he is. No. Life <laughs> is the storm. You are the shrapnel. Okay. Like, you are trying to fly in this storm. Gotcha. All right, he's shrapnel? I'll take bird, it. Bird, what? You're in the you're in the fucking storm. That Whatever's could be the name storm. of a bird. There are a lot of weird names of birds. So. Snipes. Yeah, exactly. Man. They're a weird name. Bird. 
So you're the bird shrapnel. This is not making it into the wall of conceit. <laughs> Can do I share we have a wall of conceit? Do I, have a, I actually have a success story, though. Can I share a success story? Since you absolutely could. Good, because I feel like I need a fucking win here, too. Yeah, to yeah. Be honest Email with you. in well, with I, all of your success yeah, stories. Yeah, sorry. Add, Gloat about your Successes, failures, profanities. No, that's, that's perfect, because we need to know... We didn't know when this happens right, what happened. Okay, so what I, I, w I had a conference, an uh, international relations conference that I went to uh, when I had to present some of these more academic style ideas that I had been wor working on for a period. And it was really two general successes. I presented a paper, and for political science, we try to explain things in political science, right? We take, we take the specific information, we try to generalize ideas, and then we try to formulate a way to think about them that can provide predictions or an understanding of future events moving forward. And I was happy because I, you know, you, I worked on a project uh, pretty intently. I had a presentation that I had to work on as well. I submitted my work to the discussant, a, a, you know, a, a professional or an expert who then reads your papers and gives you comments back. And when I was in there in the presentation, two things happened. Well, for one thing, we talked about a plan that happens, right? When you set everything up moving forward. I think we talked with Mitch uh, earlier on about the idea that, you know, there's the planning and then there's the execution and, and then afterwards. Well, in the moment that I had to give my presentation, there was no internet on the laptop that was going to project my project onto the screen. Like, no, I couldn't get it on there, and I didn't bring a, th a thumb drive with it on there anyway. It's the only conference I've ever been, I've ever been to in an ho actual hotel, a Hilton, where there was no fucking internet access in the room. So. I had to, in a sense, you know, extemporize. Was this a problem for everyone else? No, because everyone else had the thumb drives. I'm like, you know, it's Google Drive, 21st century, <laughs> old man Riley. Like, who doesn't have internet in the fucking 2015 in a Hilton conference room? And apparently, you know, that room alone existed in 1980. So I was just, like, completely, like, thrown. But, you know, I overcame that. I, I was able to give a rockin' presentation. I had everything set up in my mind, and it was within 15 minutes of, well, even less than that, of finding out that I wasn't going to be able to give the presentation relying on or, you know, doing it ideally as I had practiced it in my mind and having to do it completely extemporaneously using my own under, uh, cues and understanding. You know, I followed through with it and I did it very well. But also, uh, you know, the, the comments I got back from my discussant and seeing myself in comparison to the other people on my panel, you know, I kind of realized that I was doing what we are intended to do which is not just merely describing the world, but trying to solve problems and, and, and fi figure out a way to think about the world. And the comments I got back were in a, you always know when you give, when you get comments back from someone, which is that if they have very harsh, specific and detailed critiques that get to the heart of what you're doing, you've done a good job. Because A, you've been clear in expressing what your intent was, and then also you've also clarified to them where some of the major pitfalls or where you're, you know, you needed to perhaps work on or clarify. So if your mistakes are in a sense a little bit more glaring in 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 intellect in intellectual work, the better I think the the scope of your comments on where you need to improve can be. And so in that sense, I felt very successful in that I had intended to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. I got feedback from someone that I respect and who was, you know, well trained in our discipline also. And also when you go and you hear other comments that are just generally like well, I really liked your paper, and I thought that you really executed well what you were trying to accomplish, and I just think that you just need to work on a little bit of things. I didn't get comments like that. I was like, you know, I got comments like, are you being innovative enough in your approach on how you're, you know, very, what seemed very harsh, but things that I take to mean that I was on the right track of wanted, what I wanted to do. And in a sense, I had, you know, thought about this and worked on it for a long period of time. This how is, long? This is over a year of of work as well, and also as well it builds for this up. one conference. Yeah, uh, well, for the uh, genesis of this idea that I've been working on uh, and presenting and working and refining uh, academic articles. I mean, not only that, but it builds on a lot of my research that I had done on 
my grad school as well. So I mean, this is a multi-year project that I had been, that I had been building towards, and you know, to get the kind of insightful feedback of what I was working on was very, very helpful as well. But that's so between your grad work and other papers you've written, most of what you had to pull on prior to this conference in order to synthesize was all based on concrete things you had done in the past. Absolutely. But it's still, you know, once again, you wouldn't have been there unless you'd accomplished something in the interim as well. And you could, you know, you have to kind of present and, re, and, and, and reassess what you've accomplished in the past and how you've been able to build on and also improve upon what you've been doing as well, right? I mean, that's the kind of the point too, right? I mean, setting out on a task and being able to compress what was essentially a portfolio of work for demonstration. Um, I think treating tasks like a portfolio of work is probably a way better way to feel about them. I mean, if, you know, you take each part and put it together and say this is the whole, that, and the whole looks good, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. If you get there. Yeah, if you get there. Um, this, I mean, that's why one of the mantra in uh, the art world is you should just save everything you ever do because I everything do. everything you have is a concrete thing you can go back to and refer to either because it's useful or because it sucks and it makes you feel better because you can now say that. Yeah, and I mean, that it sounds discrediting to say things that you did without the intent of being at that conference where you were. It, it, to say that you didn't work hard on it even at the time, that that's wrong. I mean, clearly you've worked very hard on this huge plethora of work, mm -hmm. and an event happened where all of it was functional. Mm -hmm. That's probably where that passive role comes in. That's where you would say, "I got here." Right. Um, but you got there as the result. You didn't as get there the result of your work. Yeah, the result of work that had to be pursued at some point. Yes. And when you got to the con, I mean, when did you? really start working on the conference? Oh, it was about a month and a half ago. Okay. Right, as I was kind of in the middle of figuring out whether or not this forthcoming podcast was going to be realized as well, because that was, once again, a, a conflict in time, if you will, yeah. that I had to reconcile also. And I made a value judgment also, which was that if I'm going to put my effort into more serious work that will actually lead to something moving forward, you know, you've got to be able to kind of, you know, this seemed more actionable, it, se it seemed like a goal, but also, once again, if I get back to my larger point as well, you know, it, I had I felt like I had to do it. I mean, this was an outside imposed goal almost yeah. that, you know, you were be held up to standards outside of your control and this will be an environment in which it will be, that is the fucking point of the environment that yeah. you'll be putting yourselves into. And it was once again something that I, I mean, do I just, now I just need to find a way to like create those opportunities where I feel like people are assigning me tasks and will judge me on them as well. And that's what I figure out, that's what I've got to find out now is how can I just put myself into situations where people are relying on me or setting me goals or setting me standards that I can meet. Or arbitrage that into goals that don't technically have that. Yeah, uh, That's probably a better way to go about, have a goal of I want this to be somewhere, but in the meantime, just build that, that holster of experience. Mm -hmm. And then being able to unload, because then you, ha each, that, all right, now I'm understanding how this compartmentalizing thing works. <laughs> so, <laughs> you take each of your projects, you accomplish them one at a time, you take all of them at once, and then you assign them to this big goal. Right. And if they're interrelated, that makes it a bit more complicated. But yeah, that, that's probably a great way to feel accomplished steps and in a plan tend to be interrelated yeah, yeah. It's, but the problem is is that you know you don't just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have the overall skills or, or, or talents necessary to accomplish that goal and I'm kind of you know I don't want to mm. see myself as you know I'm, you know I'm a hammer and, and I need a nail but I do feel like you know 
if I'm able to just, you know, execute what has been assigned to me, then I'm not the kind of person who will set up the board or play or set, set the nail that needs hammering. You know what I mean? I just, mm. I don't find that I'm able to kind of self-generate or, you know, also, I think, create an environment where you could be that for other people as well. I just don't think that I'm able to kind just of find that. Get enough nails and That's wait for somebody to ask you to build a house. Exactly. Well, no, I've just been building the best hammer. I've got, I've got a great fucking <laughs> hammer. I mean, if the hammer is my mind and my ability to, you know, work on and execute tasks, I mean, now I'm needing someone to, you know, set up some fucking nails for me for me to hammer. And that's the problem, too, is that when when it, when do we kind of find this idea or reliance on other people that we need as well? I mean, because, you know, we all need other people, right? Uh, you were the one that was arguing we potentially didn't, so you don't have to convince us. Well, uh, this, well, this is the whole point of this podcast is to kind of understand where we're at in general with the scope of our failures. Yeah. And we're trying to fucking reassess and understand these things. I've just kind of tried to been... been trying to figure out, and once again, reconciling the idea of what we want to do, because I don't want this to be something that is just on my leisure time. I would like to do this and be able to make a living off of it. And that's the overall goal. I mean, if there's a fucking goal I want to do, I want to do what I want passionately, and I want to be able to make money doing that. And well, that's why we're going to have Dave Ramsey on the show next week. Oh, very good. Turning your dreams into cash. <laughs> Even better. That'll be the good, uh, that'll be a nice segue for this, uh, this conversation. You know, bringing other people into what you're doing is the easiest way to build a responsibility outside of yourself. It makes the discipline much easier to, not necessarily yeah. the, the discipline, but the willpower. By reducing the amount of discipline that you need, you also decrease the amount of willpower it requires because you can feed off, it's very easy to feed off of other people. This is a phenomenon that occurs when you talk in front of live audiences if you're not so completely wrapped in fear. Most of the time, it is important to understand that the audience, in almost all circumstances, wants you to succeed. Mm -hmm. Like, the audience would not be there if they thought... Uh, they may be there if they think you suck. They would radically prefer if you did not suck. Right. Um, and doing projects for other people are exactly the same way. They don't want you to fail. Mm -hmm. Like, they may have a slightly adversarial attitude if they're expecting something out of you, but even that can be channeled. I mean, that falls into a competitive edge, mm -hmm. which is another thing that you can't necessarily get by yourself. Um, there are projects where that's hard to do, and in interim steps, it's almost impossible sometimes. I right. mean, like, when I'm... The stuff that I'm trying to do around this house is at least one step removed. Building this house into a laboratory and workshop has no direct benefit to anyone but myself and maybe you mm -hmm. very peripherally. Right. So that can potentially be hard to work on. I have to somehow abstract it, and the way that I do that is I bring other people around. I bring Dylan around and I let him use it for the same purpose, and that gives me an additional perspective to look through. It gives me deadlines if I need to make sure that I have things in order. It's that accountability right. makes the time matter in a way that it doesn't otherwise. Because me saying, or even Dylan, you know, we can talk shit about him while he's not here, he's at the bathroom. Having four hours is completely different than needing four hours. Yes. And obviously, if you need four hours and don't have them, that sucks. But having four hours and not needing them is just, it's completely useless. You end up on the internet or you do whatever. You, you do what I do and have been doing for the last three weeks where you basically walk around thinking of all the great shit you could be doing if you were slightly more motivated. Right. Um, you, you need that accountability. And people are a very, a very straightforward, not always simple, but a straightforward way to get that out of it. Yeah. 
Well, and I talked before about you know me needing nemesis, the nemesi, yeah. you know, uh, environment as well. And it's not necessarily that you know that I'm wanting to hurt or you know tear down other people, but uh, you know there is a kind of a necessarily competitive component to my personality that I do have. And you know, I'm, once again, I'm trying to, in a sense, figure out which is that recognizing that I'm not totally in in charge of my internal motivations. I mean, can I, in a sense, trick myself? Can I put myself into situations where I need to be able to perform? And I do think too that, you know, there's been a certain level that I've not been risking anything either. And I think that's one of the things that you try to like, you know, put yourself out there in the world. I mean, if there's one problem I have had, it's been getting shit out there in the world also. And, you know, the conference was a step up as well. That's why I consider this kind of a, a success, which was yeah. that, you know, putting things out there to critique by someone else and it, to your peers even, uh, I felt was not only just, you know, I, I felt not only encouraged by the kind of response I was getting, but maybe I didn't perhaps clarify the idea that how often do people perhaps even listening to this podcast put themselves out there in a way that what they're passionate about or what they feel they can do very well, how often are they putting that out there to critique or to, so, you know, so, to subject it to other people and know that they will be, in a sense, giving you something back as well. Because what we're doing here now is fun, absolutely fun. But in a sense, it's also extraordinarily low risk as yeah. well. And that's the, that's part of the fun and engaging of the thing, uh, engagement of the thing as well. But, I mean, really, there has to be a point to where if we're trying to achieve some, some level of success, I mean, we have to be able to say that this is important to me. This is putting, putting myself out there. And I think that there are people that are doing it all around, right? Mitch doing his uh, trivia night as well. Yeah. I mean, he was putting something out there for his friends and for people he wanted, but also for that larger goal as well. And I think that those kinds of steps we've been taking in, you know, bringing things that we like and enjoy and then wanting to see them further on and wanting them to improve or to, you know, have a larger component in our lives. I mean, we have to necessarily understand that nothing's going to happen overnight with those kinds of steps also. Oh, and I reflexively said, yeah, when you said this podcast was relatively low risk, I don't actually see it that way because this podcasting is something that I, have, I haven't done, but I have, I have listened to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. I am very much an audio dude when it comes to the consumption of media. I listen to audio books constantly. I listen to 16 podcasts a week. Like, it's a thing. Yep. And... In order to, and exercising it in this way, I am showing the world for all intents and purposes yes. how good I am at a thing that I care about quite a bit. Absolutely. Um, I do have a countermand that I build into it, though, in that I have other people on it. Mm -hmm. It's not just me. Right. Like, the podcast can sink or swim based on whoever else I have on it. And to the extent that they see that that is on the line for themselves, and I think a lot of I think a lot of the guests that have been on here do. There is definitely a self-consciousness to talking this way, at least up front. I feel like I've mostly gotten over that, but I haven't got over the part where I want this podcast to succeed at being a good time for the audience and potentially being, you know, all of the heartwarming nonsense that you put into an edutainment podcast. And that's tough, but that wears off over time. And so I move on to the next step. I find something more ambitious to do with yeah, it. Absolutely. I keep adding to it because I'm not I don't feel like I'm done. And again, I feel like I could hone what we do right here. But I don't know that this is the apex of it. I don't know that this is what I am best at. So I want to keep experimenting with it. And that experimentation, in addition to a deadline where I have a pact at this point, now that we got past the mental block episode, because that was apropos for that to take <laughs> yeah. three weeks to come out. I don't want to put out I, I don't ever want to go a full seven days without putting one of these out. Mm -hmm. And 
sink, you know, the sink or swim thing, regardless of the quality of what I'm putting out, I have to put something. And funny enough, it's comforting knowing that that deadline can excuse some garbage. Right. Because... Some actual garbage. Because some, yeah. Some ideal garbage. Ideal garbage. <laughs> because every once in a while, we're going to... We're going to have a podcast that isn't good, and that's not totally my fault, either because the people who are on didn't do either the people who were on, myself included, didn't do a good job, or the time constraints on whatever we were doing. And I mean, this podcast, perfect example, this podcast almost didn't happen. I got a text from, I asked Dylan, when was the earliest you could do it? He said two. Ryan said, when's the latest you can do this? He said one. So this basically (laughs) almost didn't happen in the first place. And, you know, I would have had to let it ride to some extent. I would have had to come up with something else. I would have had to come up with something else to do. And it might have sucked, but I'll never know because this particular one worked out. But i got to be ready every week because there may be a week where something goes wrong, right. and I, but I still want to meet that deadline because that's very motivating. Mm-hmm. Uh, having, knowing I have seven days and understanding how long it takes to think, to ideate, create, and edit a podcast, you know, it's it's six hours at this point. Yep. It's six dedicated hours to put one of these out for me. And I'm willing to do that, but I understand how long that is, and that, that focus is incredibly useful, in addition to the social aspect, where I'm not only putting it out to the world for other people to see, but I have involved other people that I know in the process. So especially once I've got a podcast out or once I've recorded a podcast, it has to go out. Like I can't I can't just throw it away. It's like that's basically an indictment of the people that were there. That's not that's not a good way. Mm-hmm. That's not a good look. Yeah. Especially if that's the one they are on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it's the first one they're on and I've basically reinforced that too. We have 12 podcasts and I think seven guests so far. There have been a lot of first guests. Right. And you got to publish those. <laughs> well, and two, I think the idea that where this is heading and where it's at, you know, because we've, I think we, we started this thing as a mission that we were going to try to be honest to a certain extent with what we were talking about in this episode. And that it was strange as well, because you, when you decide or you say, we're going to put something out here and it's going to be about failure and it's going to necessarily take a personal component of what failure is. You know, there's a certain way that someone might look at this and say, well, th- you know, are these just people in a group dealing with their own neuroses about what they're, you know, trying to focus on in their lives. And I think to a certain extent that's absolutely true, but it doesn't mean that there can't be a kind of relatable way that we can present these ideas. It doesn't mean that there can't be a way that we can speak about them that tries to achieve, especially bouncing ideas off people that I think we could trust to give us some, not feedback necessarily, but some honest perspective about how we're looking at these larger themes that we're building on these on these types of ideas as well. That can be one component of this, but it has to, I think you're absolutely right, be more than that, right? I don't think this can be the peak of the thing. And then we, so we bring in ideas of topics, we bring in ideas of film, we bring in ways that we can discuss as a group and build a dynamic and an exchange that could ultimately be useful beyond its mere conception and beyond its mere execution in that moment. And I think that we have to recognize that overall this is more of a risk to you than it is to any guest that you have as well. And I'm and, fine with that. Yeah, absolutely. I need that pressure. Absolutely. And I think that once again, You've put yourself in a situation where there are other people inspiring you to breathe through this and moving on with this idea as well. And that's what I'm looking for, too. That's what I've been trying to communicate, which is that I need other people. I need my own podcast audience to a certain, uh, my own podcast guests to a certain extent to bring in and motivate myself around these kinds of issues also. And I'm searching for the same thing that you are to a certain, that you found within this project as well. Finding. 
it's definitely ongoing. We'll see how long it, I'm. I, Florida's lasted two months, but I attribute that completely to the existence of other people within the framework of the project. If I had been doing this by myself, it wouldn't have gone more than three episodes, probably. I don't imagine. Eyes watching make you move. That too. Hard to stay still when people are looking. I mean, it's it's the weirdest. I don't know how you record any, Ryan. I don't know how you record any amount of stuff by yourself. Like, I spend... I do almost no edits to these podcasts. I edit out particularly long pauses. It's usually like 15 or 16 edits for an hour and a half. The three... you know, Like, the blurb at the front or the back that I do, I have to write that down because I can't just say it. Like, when I, when I record anything like, you know, leave a comment or any of the bullshit, like, spoiler alert kind of thing, I've never we've, nailed any of those on the first take. We've also ever. never had a spoiler before the actual spoiler. <laughs> we also, just mentioned that in post. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the yeah, fucking, yeah. that happened. Look, if it's in the... You, I know everyone will have listened to this out to the hour and 30 mark, so I know that this will get out to everyone... If it's if the movie or the video game is in the title, we expect <laughs> that you have experienced this for yourself already, because it's no fun talking around that. Undertale being a fantastic example, I want to do a discussion of Undertale not only because it deserves it, but because I can't review that game. Like, there's nothing I can say about that game that will compel you to play it other than without kind of screwing with it, and I can't expound on it properly. And, and talking about it in a meta sense is... Part of the yeah, game. Yeah, it's part of the game Yeah, uh, in a really great way. Yeah, no, like, that begs for that conversation. But we can't... We could talk about it for 15 minutes with no spoilers, and that would be... Boring. Yeah, that would be, suck. It would sound bad. Yeah. I mean, I've been tr trying to describe uh, Quiplash to people by comparing it to Cards Against Humanity, and I just say those words and they lose interest because that game's kind of been written out. Yeah. As just, oh, we're doing that again, okay. Yeah. But then I had, I set it up, and I forced them to play it, and they're like, this is way better, like you said, even though we kind of just ignored that. Yeah. Well, folks, I think that is going to do it. Ryan's got a split. I need to take a nap. Dylan, what do you got to do? Excellent. Sand the skill man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, you got shit to do. Yeah, I have shit to do too, but I need to take a nap first. I am tired. I gotta go to work. Yeah, take a nap at work. Old man Riley Old gotta man. hit the job. Gotta hit the hay. Uh, yeah. So no, um, that'll do it for this. I don't know that I'll call this having time since I think there's another specific topic that came up enough times. I may change the title. Regardless, um, thanks for listening. Uh, tune in for. Uh, podcasts on what are we doing undertale oh um we're also doing a trip to the moon because i figured since uh the movie Nic nicole and ryan were complaining that we were doing recent 21st century movies so i figured i would go back to <laughs> what is considered basically the first film <laughs> may as well balance it out so yeah a trip to the moon is like 15 minutes long just watch the damn thing and <laughs> And Undertale is about seven hours to play through correctly. Absolutely <laughs> worth your time. That'll be and up ten dollars. Yeah, also and like ten bucks. Like, go, what are you doing? Go the extra mile and purchase the version with the soundtrack. It's like three dollars cheaper on the soundtrack. It's bumping. And with that, that's gonna do it. Thanks everybody for listening. <laughs>